podcast is brought to you by Feel Good Omega H+. The H is for you, the human, and the plus is to emphasize our goal of helping you achieve healthier and longer life. Feel Good Omega is our first product in the new human line. Why human line? Because dogs need healthy, happy, and mobile people to go out on adventures with. And if you don't have a dog in your life, you deserve to enjoy a healthy body and sharp mind too. I've been taking Omega-3s for many years now, but if you are currently not taking them, it may be worth knowing that they are essential and the body cannot make them. Because of the impact of civilization on our food, it would be hard to come across someone who does not need Omega-3s as a supplement. Omega-3s are essential to cell repair of the whole body and the organs, They support good memory, brain, and nerve function. They reduce inflammation throughout the body without side effects. Omega-3s help cell repair, skin healing, and prevent organ disease. They will also make your skin radiant, healthy, and hair shiny. Feel Good Omega is essential to maintain heart health, which is obviously very important. In addition, as every product in our lineup, we've meticulously searched for the best ingredients to ensure that the product is top quality, free of toxins and heavy metals, and is also gentle on the planet. Feel Good Omega H Plus is free of GMO, dimethyl sulfate, and we use no methyl alcohol in the extraction process. It is also packaged in glass, which is super important for you and also for the planet. Don't miss out on feeling good. Check out Feel Good Omega H Plus at feelgoodomega-h.com. Again, the website is feelgoodomega-h.com. Hello, my dog lovers and other folks. You're listening to Not Just About Dogs. I am Dr. Peter Tobias, and today I have the pleasure to introduce you to my very good friend, Catherine Durham. Kath is a yoga teacher of many years, and I've met her about 10 or 11 years ago, and she has completely transformed my life. Now, our company is not only about dog health, but also about human health and well-being. And that's why I'm introducing you to Kat. Many people are scared of yoga because they think that it's about flexibility and uh, being super fit and healthy. But yoga is actually good for anyone. And I've learned myself that it is not about how bendy we become, but how flexible we become in our mind and how accepting we are of our limitations. I hope you will enjoy the interview as much as I have and that you will take advantage of the free classes that are available on her YouTube channel. I personally have experienced many yoga teachers and uh, many classes and Kat is definitely my very favorite. Anyway, I hope you will enjoy the interview and that you will share it with others and also that you will check the YouTube channel because your dog needs you healthy and mobile and if you don't have a dog in your life again you deserve to have good and healthy and long life too take care and enjoy the interview hi hi <laughs> i'm so happy to be here hi, Peter. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here this is the purpose of my day today showing up for you on the screen and for everyone who's watching right because uh, I, I must confess you're the first people 
that I included in my uh, People in My Life series. And the reason is because you've had such an amazing influence on my life. And if I could have a little sneak peek uh, of my parallel life without you, I think that it would be a very, very different life. Because you as a yoga teacher and person have really inspired me. You have made my life so different and so much better. And you're basically the reason why I am still moving at the age of 56. <laughs> so, hi, Cap. Thank you so much. Well, Peter, I have to, of course, your energy and support in my life have been constant since we first met and has just ignited an enormous amount of enthusiasm and desire to share more. And so I think the, the word Ubuntu, I am not me without you, is a really apt word at this point in time as we exchange and share this between us. Yeah, I would not be me without you. So thank you, Peter. You as a yoga teacher, as a person, strike me as very original and you kind of go along your own path. You follow, you learn, you have an open mind, but you have always been a person that has kind of created her own life, her own practice, her own everything. So tell me a little bit about yourself and our listeners and our viewers, because I find your life very fascinating. And I know that it has been quite different than the kind of average life. Well, I think that I, th I, would, I would say that the biggest influence in my life that, as you say, keeps me going on my own path was probably being born to the family that I was born into and being raised on a sailboat in Southeast Asia back in the 1970s when it was a Wild West situation. There were pirates, there were shipwrecks, there were treasures, there were all kinds of adventures to be had in pretty uncharted waters. And so that's what I was exposed to from the age of one to 14. And it seemed normal to me at the time. It was only much later that I realized, actually, <laughs> this is a bit unusual, but it definitely forged, first of all, a deep desire in me for freedom, open horizons and self-sufficiency. Not to mean that I don't value community, family and friendship because those are extremely important, but just not following a well-trodden path. And also a, a curiosity. There was always another island to explore, another reef to dive on, another wreck to look for. And you can translate this into everything that we do in life. I must say, I thank my, my family for my unusual upbringing for for placing that in my cells. Maybe these things are predestined. I don't know. You strike me as a person who constantly changes, but there is one constant and that's yoga. And that's the philosophy of yoga. How did you get to yoga? And what was the initial, do you remember the first moment he went to yoga? I absolutely remember the first moment. I was in Hawaii. My parents were avid windsurfers and then later kite surfers and Hawaii at that time was the Mecca for windsurfers and so I was 16 years old and I everyone kept in this little town called Paia in Maui which we both know so well everyone kept talking to me about this incredible yoga class at the tomato farm that was it <laughs> and you kind of have to drive up there and take a left and then you're going to find it and so for four days in a row, I drove up, took my left and couldn't see the sign. And on the fifth day, 
on the same road, the sign was all of a sudden visible. I mean, I don't know how I missed it. I wasn't meant to see it before. It was really like a Harry Potter movie where the portal is there and all of a sudden you're meant to enter that portal at the right time. And so I drive into this potholes, rickety road and park my car. I have no idea what I'm coming to. And I enter the yoga shala and there is Nancy Gilgoff and, and she's a beautiful teacher. She was actually the first Westerner to go study with Patabi Joyce, so Ashtanga yoga, different from what I teach now, but also the first person to bring it back to the West. So she was the start of it all, actually. And she has an abundant head of hair and a beautiful energy and smile. And she greeted me. And I thought, well, no problem, yoga. You know, I felt quite strong. <laughs> and within half an hour, I was on my mat already in Shavasana. And I spent the, re the next 45 minutes of the class while everyone powered their way through their series snoring <laughs> and they kindly just let me slow and around me were people in loincloths and the strangest you know sort of humans that I'd been doing all these contortionistic poses and I woke up from my snoring slightly embarrassed but realizing that I had been beautifully humbled and that this was something completely different and unusual and then I needed more that's how my first touch with yoga began <laughs> I remember the tomato farm. I used to go there and get tomatoes uh, because I had a different yoga teacher here, so I didn't need to go to Nancy. <laughs> Maui is just so uh, interesting from the point of yoga, right? There are so many teachers and so many people, and it's very difficult for beginners or people who are interested in yoga to know what actually good yoga teaching is. Um, if you go to McDonald's and if you didn't know what McDonald's is, then you would think that McDonald's food is actually pretty good. But then you start eating real food. And that's how I felt about your yoga. I have gone to so many classes and there are some really good teachers, but um, you set yourself apart, not necessarily consciously, but I as a student can say that if I go to yoga class, to your yoga class, I'm ready to be taken apart to the last little piece and then put back together. And at the end, it feels fantastic. Well, I have one person to thank for that particular, for that particular element that you're talking about. I really feel that I owe that thanks to my, my then, my first Iyengar teacher, whose name is Faye Gbilia. And even though I have since left that particular community in the hierarchies and specific rigidities around it, we remain close friends and without doubt when it comes to asana, the alignments of Iyengar are the best. And he used to say excellence is a habit. And so that's what we have to practice every time. And so he instilled this really high level of working hard and working deep that has just remained in me since then. And so I'm really thankful to have had that kind of really authentic energy imbued in me and it's kept the structure of that has just kept me going through thick or thin highs and lows all of it i'm currently actually on my 12 months of everyday yoga minimum an hour that's amazing i need to just congratulate you right there because that is just incredible but i sometimes practice at then 30 p.m because i haven't really gotten it in so do i if the day has gotten away from me there's the feeling like the day is not complete and not well <laughs> calibrated unless i tune into this that's right 
It almost becomes like toothbrushing, right? Like you haven't brushed your teeth and then go to the to bed. <laughs> that's right. That absolutely, exactly. You mentioned the word asana. I know that some people who are watching do not know what it is. Can you tell me more? Many people think that yoga is just the, the movements that we see, and I mean, in 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 popular narrative, one does say, "I did my I did my yoga practice," and people know what you mean. But actually, yoga is a way of life, and there are eight specific steps in the yogi's journey and asana is one of those steps and asana relates to the physical poses of yoga the postures that you see people doing and it's a very popular portal through which to enter the world of yoga it's our first contact with the idea of meditation in motion as we move we learn to harness our attention to penetrate more deeply into what we could call deep inward mind through movement. And so that brings us to the rest, to breath, to heart sensitivity, to cleanliness in mind and body and, and a plethora of other things that are part of the yoga journey. And I think the other thing that just to mention right now that, that, that comes up as important is People have a notion that um, yoga and being on the mat is very spiritual. And what I want to say is, it's no more spiritual than washing your dishes or doing your laundry. It just is a place in which to practice presence, witnessing, self-love. And the byproducts are ease in the body, health. But these are byproducts. The real purpose of it is to engage in that and therefore the rest of life, everyday life, the most mundane moments, they're all spiritual. We can't define one moment as non-spiritual and one moment as spiritual. And I wish that people and teachers <laughs> would let go of this concept that what they're doing is so specially spiritual <laughs> and separate than the rest. We're all spiritual beings right here, right now, and every moment is precious. You know, what you remind me of is the J.P. Sears uh, videos on YouTube, J.P. Sears. Oh, yeah, J.P. Sears is so funny. <laughs> because he does uh, call what you're describing the ultra-spiritual people. And, you know, he makes fun of uh, that part. And I think that it's super important to bring it back down to the real life, normal life. Uh, you know, Maui, I love Maui, but I always laughed saying that There are so many lovely, amazing people, but there's also a lot of there are also a lot of ultra spiritual people who think that they're better than everyone else just because they sit on the mat. And it's very common to everyone who starts. There is a moment I, I have felt it too way back in the past in my twenties that what I'm doing is really special. You know that that that, <laughs> you know, that that breaks away. I think it's a natural part of the course. But to be very watchful for it and let go of it the moment you, because it's A, untrue, and B, alienating in all ways. And then you also get excited about what you've learned and what you experience and you want to pass it on to others. I know that Adyashanti actually calls it the missionary zeal. And that it's a dangerous period because you may actually really push people off by being too enthusiastic. You know, if I have friends who I think would benefit from yoga, Uh, how do you actually convince others to go uh, and, and give it a try? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I never do that because you always end up creating a separation and a feeling from them that somehow you're 
putting yourself above them. So there are, t I mean, especially in Europe where people in the city are less into the mind-body connection than let's say in Hawaii, for instance, I'm walking down the street and in the space of a hundred meters, I see at least 10 people who I want to go up and say, gosh, do you know, if you just pushed your left shoulder blade forward, <laughs> you wouldn't have that pain that I see you massaging your neck with. Or if you just did, <laughs> I just have to step back and when the time is right, that's right. It's like Tai Chi and the pushing hands exercise where you do this with someone in partnership and as they push into you, you learn to take their hand and then transfer the energy and back up. And you're taught very early on, if you push back and you just both maintain this pushing against each other and nothing happens. I find it very interesting that if we lead by example, just by living our lives or just going on the mat and, you know, we had our friends um, staying with us for two and a half months because of COVID and they couldn't really go back to Europe. And we didn't really try to teach them to cook better, eat healthier, or practice yoga. And within the two months, they actually are better cooks than us. They practice yoga. You supported the transformation without yeah. pushing it on them. The, the, they're yeah. going to be so grateful for the rest of their lives just for that little switch and the time of living with that and seeing it every day. Exactly. You know, it's the same thing like... Um, my life with Pax, with my dog. Like if I didn't have a dog and if that couldn't be part of my life, I wouldn't be able to show people what is possible and how much fun we can have and how we can um, create gradual transformation of life from something that we may not necessarily like to something that we really enjoy. And it doesn't need to be sudden cuts and changes either. What do you think about, you know, the sudden or gradual transformation? Like what is your opinion about that? I don't have an opinion in the sense that I don't think one is better than the other. One sometimes has sudden transformations and moments of realization. And most of the time it's slow growth. I mean, to use the garden analogy, every plant blooms at its own pace and you can't push and over fertilize, pointless. Just tend your garden well and be grateful for what flowers when it does. It's like everything has its time. It's like if you have an apple tree and you try to open the blossoms, you'll break them and you ruin them. There will be no apples. I've, had, I've been talking about that particular point a lot in the, in the past few weeks with all these new students connecting me and reminding them everything has its time. Just practice and all is coming, as they say. <laughs> yes. When I do yoga, I transfer the habits from yoga, the, the perception of comfort and discomfort and the busyness of the mind, but also the discipline and then learning to overcome life circumstances. It really has helped me to, to kind of transfer yoga to real life. And, and I'm noticing it, not necessarily that I do that consciously, but it's such a habit of being used to a certain degree of discomfort or limitation or whatever it is, right? Do you do the same? So, yes, of course. I mean, at one point, you know, yoga has to extend off the mat, of course, and it does, and it does sort of seamlessly and it happens beautifully in the way that you're describing. But I'm smiling because I've just launched um, these beginner courses on YouTube. It's really been exciting. It's created a lot of community and there's been a lot of people messaging me. And just this morning, I was writing a long message to someone explaining just that. She's been struggling with a few poses due to particular 
areas of discomfort in her body. And I was saying exactly those words. Use those parts of resistance where you're feeling that extreme discomfort as a meditational tool to watch how attached we are to our, oh, I like this or I don't like this, and to step back from the like and the dislike, from the joy and the pain, and just witness it with a little bit more distance and hold that space. And mm -hmm. I think that as we learn to do that in postures, then we learn to do that mentally, psychically, and with situations in our life, absolutely. The discomfort that we experience in life is also from pushing too far or doing too much. I learned in yoga that when I do that, I injure myself or I end up actually being able to do less eventually if I do more. Well, everyone has the different makeup of tamasic, rajasic, and you are definitely have a yangness. You do like to go hard and deep in that way, but other people have the opposite where they need to be prompted. And so that's one of the beautiful things about a practice is that whether we're mostly rajasic or mostly tamasic, the practice somehow is like an adaptogen herb. It works with the situation that you are to give you what you need, which is just another blissful gift. Why do I hear that so many people get injured in yoga? Well, there are two main reasons. One, one gets injured because one is not listening to one's body and there are different types of pain. There is something called healthy pain <laughs> and then there is pain that is unhealthy and injurious. And one does have to be sensitive enough to recognize. And two is teachers who push too hard and aren't yet aware enough by looking and working at a body from the external what a particular body is ready to take. It's a careful balance between keeping and encouraging someone to be at their edge and yet intuitively knowing, and this is where again this idea of vessel because the intuition is not coming from your ego, sensing and being able to listen to that sensingness, this is too far for that person or for me. It's kind of a balance or harmony and it's different for everyone, but there has to be, there's to be uh, strength and freedom in movement and to a degree flexibility. But if, if I've seen people being too flexible and getting injured. So actually being too flexible is actually harder than being not flexible. It's hard to believe, but it's true. Because <laughs> <laughs> what happens when you're too flexible is that, well, first, you know, for in, in terms of yoga, you come to a class and you think, wow, I've got this. I'm flexible. I can touch my toes. I can whatever. But... Without the initial contraction of the muscles, and most yoga, yoga is not taught this way. Most yoga is taught as what I call spaghetti yoga. And over time and practicing this way, you end up with problems. And the important thing is to think of it as an isometrics. The contraction has to happen first, and then the brain asks from that contraction, for the corresponding extension to come. And that holds the extension in safely. So people who are overflexible, it's very hard for them to find contraction. Very hard to find that. And that's its own struggle. I'm definitely one of those less flexible people. I always blame it on my past and horseback riding and whatever. 
he taught me not to really strive for that extreme flexibility. And I'm very grateful for that. And the contraction, I, I know that because every time I do my down dog, I hear you saying, you know, <laughs> push your front thighs to the moon, suck the roots of the femur bones into the hip sockets. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> and sometimes in yoga, there are these, uh, these funny terms like open your anal mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about the anal mouth, it's like, it's a key part from which to access our organs. So uh, uh, that's another thing about yoga asana is that um, it's very often taught as an external physical exercise, but there's also the internal dynamic of what our organs are doing and how do we even access to even feel our organs. That's, that's a whole journey in its own. And then learning to lift them because as we age, everything's dropping, the organs included. And through the yogi process, we learn to bring health and liftingness to the inner body, like a, a plant that's growing, not crumbling. So the inner mouth relates a lot to those inner organs. <laughs> <laughs> so yoga is basically about uh, defying gravity as well. <laughs> in, in exactly. Gravitational and anti-gravitational force. There's always at least a minimum of two opposing forces that create a deeper sensation. So anyone who is trying to create a better life and more balanced life can go to YouTube and look at your channel and start. A hundred percent. And they should also know that they can write to me on YouTube and I'm there and I respond to everybody. I really enjoy that. That's what makes it exciting to have an online community. And so whether you're advanced or intermediate, there are about 150 advanced intermediate classes on my playlist. And if you're a beginner, there's this, awesome course that's happening at the moment that will be there permanently but it's a true evolution we have module a already class 1 to 12 each class we introduce new alignments new concepts new poses and now we're in module b and it's been so beautiful to see people's transformation and excitement around it so yes yes please come please join me please write i'm here i'd love to help in however way i can you know, what is inspiring me and almost bring tears to my eyes is that I can see the excitement and the passion and the fact that you're offering this just because you want to and you're offering these classes and everything that you're doing for free is kind of amazing and so generous. Just, just don't miss this opportunity because your life is going to transform. Many of you are writing me emails saying, I'd like to have your life. I'd like to create a life that you have. You have your own life, your own idea what it should be. But I definitely say that with yoga and with Kat's guidance, uh, you will be able to do it much better. And this is without any exaggeration. I know it sounds almost too good, good to be true, but when we come across um, such special people like you, Kat, you need to know how much difference you make because it's uh, very rare. And also it's very rare to see such a passionate person. And that's what we have in common. I, I know that you love what you do. I love what I do. And connecting the people in my life with my community and also your community with our community is really a, a way how I envision the future. Yeah, that passionate connectivity with people is what just elevates the whole space, doesn't it? You wake up excited <laughs> and it's yeah. such a treat. You know, there would definitely be moments in life where 
I have been low or suffered from depressions due to other external forces. It's not like it's always passionate and rosy and amazing, but having a good structure in place to come back to just supports you through all of that. And then the harder times actually become lessons and places of learning from which we emerge refined and more subtle in different ways that add to our lives. It is so encouraging, and I think that we need to hear that more, especially in the era of internet and Facebook and Instagram, and everyone posts these beautiful pictures. And I know. Everyone's having a perfect life <laughs> <laughs> until you see how much until see, you see how how much Prozac is sold on the market, right? Then you go like, there's something something wrong with the picture. But you know, everything has its place, and and I think that we, I think that the, what I've learned from you too is to be kind to ourselves about our limitations about uh, about what how we sometimes make mistakes and and don't make the best decisions or get up and just don't feel really good and it's okay because it's bring that contrast of of not feeling as well and feeling well and they couldn't exist without, without each other right i think that at this moment in time we tend to live in in a in a culture in America and maybe Canada that I don't, can't speak as well for, but certainly in America and Europe, where extroversion is valued more than introversion, which is a pity because what's happened is that it can make people feel somehow even more down that they're not well. <laughs> so it's like a double whammy. And if we could just honor the introverted state a little bit more and the and the gifts that it brings. That reminds me of Adyashanti, who is a Buddhist, American Buddhist monk. I know Adyashanti, I like his work very much. And he says that when any emotions come, that we should actually observe them as if they were objects. Look at them, turn them around and not push them away. Because when we push them away, they actually become stronger and more damaging. Exactly, they just come back stronger. You know, sometimes I feel bad that I don't want to see anyone or talk to anyone and want to go to the forest or be on my own or with packs. And then, uh, you know, I think that there are times when, when we have to, to recharge and to kind of have the opposite, right? Otherwise, it's like lopsided Absolutely. life. And it's, yeah. it's been an interesting journey for, uh, for me in, in terms of what you're saying right now, because when I left my six years in Sri Lanka, followed by six years in Hawaii life, and came back to Europe to bring my daughter back so that she would know this, I was certainly used to being surrounded by a community that supported a practice, meditation, that there were no hard feelings around if you took time off to do that instead of socializing. And it's not the same in Europe, not because people are mean, but because that's not part of their daily life for the most part. So they can't comprehend what it adds to your life. And as a result, I've really had to explain and just carve out some gentle boundaries about if I'm depleted, I have nothing left to give. <laughs> and then you get kind of just a nothing version of me. Whereas if I take this time to make life nutritious, then you'll get more of me. But it's, it's interesting because here life is very much based around bustle, bustle, uh, meetings, appointments, phone calls, lunches, dinners, and I don't really do much of that. So it's definitely been a process that's been interesting for friends of mine to accept and absorb, and, and now, we're in a, now we're in a happy, balanced place around it. But I didn't notice that when I first landed here. 
Europe. It's all about eating and drinking <laughs> wine and beer and, <laughs> and, and shopping. <laughs> I mean, when I first moved back to Europe, so I spent a year in Barcelona, and in the morning, the, everyone, all the workers are at the cafes, and they're all drinking wine, and it's 10.30 in the morning. <laughs> you don't really do that in America. You know, it has a different connotation. But yet, interestingly enough, they have a high longevity rate. So I don't want to place any judgments around it. Again, everything is pretty cult, you know, cultural in terms of what we think is right or wrong. I just come from a health, nutritional perspective. And I don't just mean physical health. I mean mental health and keeping a sensitive, wide-open heart kind of health too. I noticed when I came from Europe to North America that the acceptance of the physicality and the body is much different than in Europe, meaning that people are embarrassed to go to nude beaches. Most people would not really accept the body as it is. And in Europe, I remember that we would just go to beaches where there would be families and parents and everyone would just be there. And it wouldn't be about the perfect body and the perfect shape but it's just about you know everyone is really comfortable i think these are as you've pointed out so rightly these are culturally held beliefs that we think are part of us but they're just programs embedded through culture and since i've grown up in so many different environments i mean growing up on a sailboat we were completely free and open and easy and then when i lived in sri lanka we had to be covered and then every country has its own structures and belief i try to encourage people to expose themselves to other ways of thinking. But when I'm in a particular culture that has a set belief around certain things that is strong, for instance, in Sri Lanka, to, to not show any part of your body, I adhere to the culture that I'm in. And no respect and uh, understand that it's not anything about uh, the other person. So right. and I don't feel the need to disprove them because I am not here to change their entire history of the body. You know, I'm not planning to talk politics today, but tolerance is actually one of the ways. Like, just because we have a different opinion doesn't necessarily mean that uh, the other person is an enemy, correct? Correct. And, and one of the things that struck me most about my childhood is we were on a boat and we would be going from island to island or from country to country around Southeast Asia. And every island that you arrive on has their own hierarchy, their own person in charge, and their own idea that they are right. And after traveling to enough places where everybody thinks they're right, you're like, wow, everybody thinks they're right. <laughs> and that allows you to realize what you're saying, tolerance. It's beliefs, it's beliefs in which we are embedded in. And we can, through the practice of yoga, actually learn to step back from them and not have those beliefs so entangled up to this, in this idea of who we are. I am this. Step back, step back, step back. That's very nice. And, you know, I think that everything in moderation to a certain degree. And uh, yoga teaches us to stay in the middle, right? Like it's all about bringing, bringing ourselves back to the center. And so I'm sure that now that you practice and practice so long, and at the moment you've been practicing so long every day, you're starting to have that sensation or you've had it already for a while. You wake up in the morning and whenever it comes time for practice, there's a moment of checking in to see where you're at and then choosing the practice that will best, right? So it becomes a beautiful tool that can, you know, elevate mood or drop mood down as needed, but basically balance. 
I do that kind of intuitively. I am. Um, I, I like to be guided, even though some people may think that I'm stubborn. I love to be guided by people I trust. So sometimes I practice to your uh, YouTube classes or classes that that I have for me. But it's you're, you're right. Like I, I basically choose: am I going to be guided or am I going to be guided by me? And then. Do I feel like, do I need something that is a little more mellow and restorative? Or do I need something that will charge me up because I have a you know busy day ahead and I need to be in that kind of energy? It's an exercise in awareness and, and um, knowing and checking in, as you say, uh, feeling how we feel. And even from one asana to another, like if we are talking about the physical practice that people enter through, I never need to plan ahead. I know exactly what the next pose should be at that moment. And it's so fascinating. I sometimes find it really fascinating. But also knowing that if I put my mind in it, that I will have a tendency to kind of avoid the places that I don't want to go to. And now I can not even make myself, but guide myself to go there and knowing that it's okay to have tight hips and, uh, you know, and shoulders or whatever it is like people sometimes are intimidated uh, by yoga because you know they, the the first thing that i hear is i'm not flexible or I don't oh i hear that all the time too i'm not flexible i've got nothing to do with flexibility i know that's what we think but it's not just let go of judgment to yourself and just move breathe and start to notice and then decide if it's so much about flexibility or if it's something else so is there such a situation and did it happen to you where you suddenly go, okay, I've arrived, I know everything from the spiritual part of yoga and also the asana and I, you know, there's nowhere to go. I'm just going to repeat the rest of the, you know, for the rest of my life. Like, does it happen? No, it doesn't happen. I'm always remain a beginner because, well, one of the big things on the yoga journey is to study all the time. And so I set aside um, a minimum of half an hour or an hour a day to study separately from my practice and to study things that bring richness to the practice. So it is a constant study and that's what I try to share and give support to, to people in my intermediate or advanced classes who have an ongoing practice, but just a little detail, a little thought, a little tweak can open up a whole new, new world. That is another thing that I've learned from you, that uh, the level of teaching that you do comes along with a lot of studying, a lot of work, a lot of hard work. And I know that from my own experience that some teachers just basically come to class and they don't even know, they're not prepared, they don't, they just kind of wait, wait. And it definitely <laughs> transfers to, to the quality of the practice and how we students feel as well. For sure. I mean, absolutely. And without it, I think the practice would, as you say, become either repetitive or just contortionistic. And then you reach to the end of light on yoga where all the poses are listed. And you think, right, I've done them all. Next. Comparison is actually another part of yoga, isn't it? So tell me about that. People in class tend to have that propensity to compare themselves to the people next to them. As ridiculous as it sounds, there can be jealousy because someone's hips are more open than yours or because as a result of you being able to do that pose, you got attention from the teacher. I think we need to feel, you know, a little bit compassionate toward teachers because 
They have all these students coming in and projecting all over them. <laughs> if one is not able to recognize that as just projection and, and step away from that space, it could be probably kind of exciting to have all that projection on you, amping up your ego <laughs> before time and practice would dissolve it again. <laughs> but it, that could take quite a while. So yes, the comparisons, the projections, I think as a teacher, I, I always try to come back to uh, the notion of being a vessel as much as possible. I am not teaching. When it's, when it's on the mat and teaching time, what, what's been learnt and something else is coming through and being expressed as best as possible. And then when I come off the mat, I come back into meanness, so to speak. But I think it's very important on that mat space to become as humble, as innocent as possible and, and be that vessel. One time he visited me in Prague and I remember you being just, you know, wild and crazy and dancing on the street and the musicians and it was just so fun. And, and this is something that people don't expect. And I think that it may be intimidating uh, for some to see such a healthy, well-composed, fit person. And I love that about you, that you, you have so many sides that I, you know, if I can describe you in one sentence, there's everything in you from A to Z, and that's always that that's always made me really comfortable. Uh, but it's also fun, so I I hope I'll be able to show this video and this recording maybe a little bit. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> multitudinous expression of all the possibilities. <laughs> absolutely. You know, humility is actually an interesting one because uh, you said that if there is a teacher who is obviously admired by many students, that there may be a moment where they kind of forget that there are. I've seen that a lot. I've seen that so much. It's actually why. Why I, I no longer really enjoy being part of man-made spiritual hierarchies because I've seen too many power plays and scandal, rigidities scandal. and what's that? Scandals, scandals as well. Scandals as well, and I think that's human, and so it's 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 normal. But we don't need to give our whole lives over to that. It would be it would be almost like staying in the victim state to continually just defer to higher authority in that way. How do you recognize a good teacher or, you know, is everyone a good teacher for us because, you know, because they teach us something? I think in the most open-minded sense of the world, yes, everyone can teach us something. That doesn't necessarily mean that the reason that you sought out a particular teacher and what they're teaching you is what you want to be taught. <laughs> so there is a time to know I'm being taught something, but I don't really want to be taught this long term. And this is up to your subtlety and awareness to recognize that. Can you give me an example? Yes, I can give you an example. So I'm going to keep it in the yoga world so we don't go too far because we could go many places with this one. But a particular teacher that I worked with for a very short amount of time. They had a fantastic technique, but their overindulgence of the technique and had created a deep rigidity in them. And their approach through this rigidity was actually abusive. I, I personally wasn't abused because 
I happened to do the postures with ease and so therefore the abuse wasn't directed at me. But those who didn't have as much ease really suffered at the hands of this. It was seeds of abuse being laid. And that's an example where I hoped that the people who were feeling that would know to withdraw. And in fact, I withdrew because I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable seeing mm. the lack of compassion and the lack of love. And then when we, even when there's little bits of abuse, it sets in a kind of fear that can come back to childhood fear in many ways. And it clamps down the body and it clamps down the mind and nothing can be learned. So it's actually sort of pointless. If you could give people three things to follow to create good life, what would they be? Gosh, Peter, that's quite a question. Let me see. Yes. First thing I would say, have a practice. I'm not going to push yoga on anyone because I don't believe in pushing, but have a daily practice that you come back to every day or five times a week through which you get to notice the mind state. Second thing, the same way you look after your physicality, look after one's mind. We could liken the mind in a lot of people to a room that has just been stuffed full with lots and lots of furniture and old clothes and everything you've ever bought and the door is closed and you never clear it out. <laughs> and that's the mind. <laughs> and that's a lot of stuff in your mind. Take care of the mind. Purify, cleanse. Way to do that? Practice or just sit quietly for 10 minutes a day and breathe and observe without attachment. Third thing, keep a sensitive heart. Keep an open heart. Look for the best in people and stay creative about everything. Imagine that life is a canvas and we are not victims. We get to choose the color and the brushstroke that we put on this canvas. And that's a reason enough every day to wake up slightly excited that you're, there's, you're it's a co-creative process. Of course, things happen that we can't control, etc. but nevertheless, in the day-to-day, -day, what color do you want to put onto your canvas that day? What do you want the brushstroke to be? When you step back from the canvas in front of you, what do you see? Does it make you excited? That's what I would say. So everyone, make sure that you choose the right colors every day, every morning. Yes, absolutely, yes. But every color is good. Every color is good in a way. In every a way. color is good. But sometimes you go through periods where you, you know, the feeling of having no choice, again, comes from the victim state. And we have all been there at certain times in our life. And even as we move from the victim state to what I would call the victor state, there are parts of us when issues arise that very easily go back to that. So watching for those tendencies and just always proactively elevating that space, not allowing ourselves to fall into that as much as possible. I just had an, a vision of a tree that is growing a little crooked, right? And eventually it'll probably impair it. And if we try to straighten it, we just have to kind of try a few times, maybe give it some support and that support from people in our life and from our practice that we can eventually have a really nice um, balanced trunk of the tree and, and the tree. Yeah. I think that even if it grows lopsided, it's fine. So long as the growth of the lopsidedness is not going to create breakage and destruction. 
right? In the sense that trees and certain elements, like you see a tree up high on a mountain where it's just nearing above tree level, where the wind is severe in winter and they're bowed open to accommodate this, but yet their roots are really deep and they're surrounded by a community of other trees. And so, like you say, in that case, the, the whole support and that deep connection is what's most essential. Have you had any aha moments in your life? One aha moment that, you know, just kind of... Yes, I've had, I've had a few aha moments. I'll talk about the, the one that's easiest to talk about, um, and I'll keep it related to yoga. It was an out-of-the-blue aha moment where some parts of me that I had kept very protected for different emotional reasons were incredibly opened. <laughs> and the aha moment was actually really quite terrifying because it wasn't just an aha moment. This aha moment went on for 10 days. And during these 10 days, I could hear sounds that other people couldn't hear. And, and someone would come into the room and I knew what they were gonna say before they said it. And so it became very disconcerting. and. About three days into it, I thought, oh my gosh, this is too much. <laughs> and then, of course, when it dissipated 10 days later, I said, come back, come back. <laughs> but that was a definite aha moment in terms of realizing how much we protect ourselves from what could be. There we go. Mm -hmm. And then we, we started off the conversation at some point, we were talking about change. And one of, the, one of the only things that doesn't change, in fact, the only thing that doesn't change is that everything's always changing, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I think that there's a lot of fear around that, understandably. And if we can let ourselves go into that beautiful creative force of constant change, there's a lot of just freedom that comes from the path of less resistance in that particular way. When I'm listening to you, I remember one of my aha moments where I was in a meditation, a guided meditation class. And I went there just because I really didn't know what to do with life. And I thought that maybe some sort of solution. And in the guided meditation, I closed my eyes and I happened to be in a black box, inside of a black box. And I was trying to get out and I couldn't get out. And that was the fear, the limitation, the, the, the sabotage of my own self to actually face change. And you know, eventually the, the, the walls dropped, but I was at the, at the top of a waterfall. And I was afraid of jumping forever, for probably years. And eventually, in that meditation, I saw myself just kind of keeling over and falling, and I fell in this crystal clear pool of water. But it wasn't over because there was some sort of hand, huge hand, grabbing me and trying to pull me back in the box. And at that point, I actually flail as much as I could and, and snuck out and swam on. And that meditation ended, and I, I continued with my kind of burned out, unhappy life until we went to Maui. And my partner, Dean, took pictures of me and our dog, Sky. 
in front of a waterfall. And we were flying back from paradise, from, from Maui, and I'm going through the pictures. And I saw me under the waterfall with our dog grinning at the camera. And I looked at my partner and I said, I'm selling my clinic. I want to be freer. I want to teach more people about what, you know, what health is. And I want to, I have to inspire people to create better life because if I teach them about better health and better life and I'm stressed and, and unwell and miserable, then how can I teach others or help others to create the same? So number one, definitely the introspection and the meditation and the listening to the messages, as you say, you know, sometimes it's scary to actually see how much we know about what we need to do because we don't want to change, right? What a defining moment, Peter. I didn't know that story. That's amazing. If I didn't, you know, if, if, if I wasn't, open-minded enough to see how much I'm actually my own worst enemy. I, I had a, you know, again, parallel life. Like it would be so interesting to see the alternatives to our life. And obviously there are challenges and hardship and it was super hard after when I decided to make the change. So it's not going to be like winning a lottery and being, you know, winning lottery is bad anyway for us as we know, but um, it's really Getting used to the challenges, as you say, is so, and, and just kind of embracing them and saying, okay, it's challenging, that's normal. And if things go really well, it's kind of rare and we have to be grateful for it. Right? Absolutely. I love that story. I have, to, I have a vision of you now in front of the waterfall. And I love how in the meditation that you did, you were able to access actual visions, symbols of visions. It's beautiful. But you're, you've yeah. got such clear energy. Um, you know, sometimes, 80% of the time. <laughs> you down, you, I, I think that you're born in this lifetime with relatively clear channels, Peter, and able to, to see these things. You know, I was taught very early on that compliments are not very useful. So I, I'm, I'm still having a hard time to accept them. See, like the what we learn in childhood is actually very... Um, important. Everyone, can you see how amazing Kat is and what a wonderful person she is and why? Now, listen, why? hang on. You just said you're going to compliments. <laughs> Wait a second now. <laughs> how could I have to say that? It's, it's, it's really like this program is about people in my life and um, everyone, you can see why I chose Kat as one of the first people, actually the first person in this program because um, you are so interesting and you kind of make me think about uh, life and how I conduct it and uh, so many things. We could go forever. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to uh, add or say? No, I would just like to say that every day is an honor to have you in my life and that I can't wait to see you again when this COVID era opens up to travel <laughs> and mm -hmm. to have the beauty of your actual presence and to go and laugh and, and be wild and, and, and hear music on the bridges of Prague. <laughs> that sounds like a really great plan. Thank you so much, Kat, for being here. And everyone, if you want to visit Kat's uh, YouTube channel. Yes, so to visit my YouTube channel, you look up on YouTube, online yoga teaching, and then you put in the name Kat, C-A-T, Duram, D-E-R-H-A-M, and it will come up. And then if you want to explore classes, you just go to playlists, which is right there on the homepage, 
and you'll see that they're all organized into their various levels so that you can find what you're looking for. Alternatively, if that sounds a little confusing, you can just go to my website, which is onlineyogateaching.com, and there is a little section called YouTube, and you can go to that, and that will also take you to my YouTube as you click on the classes. And feel free to connect with me and contact me with any issues, pains, or questions that arise as we practice. I really do try to give as much support as possible so you wouldn't be just on your own, floundering around trying to figure it out if you're a beginner. I am here for you, even though it's through a screen. That's amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time and we'll talk very soon. Oh, Peter. Love you. Thank you. Bye, <laughs> If you have any questions, you can always go to peterdubais.com, my website, and search in the search window there. And if you don't find the answer, which is actually quite rare, you can always email us. And for those of you who are new to our community, I encourage you to subscribe to our newsletter because I publish a lot of new information on how to keep your dogs healthy and happy for many years to come. Have a wonderful day and give your dog eye for me. Take care.